You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome to the Wealth Formula Podcast, episode number 100. I'm your host, Camilla Joffrey. My dad has now decided he will retire, so I'm going to take over the show. Now, let's get started to make some real money. Okay, just kidding. Here's my dad. Thank you very much, Camilla, for that uh, wonderful introduction. Of course, Camilla is my lovely daughter, and uh, I'm never going to retire. I don't even know what retiring is, right? Retiring is about just waiting to die. I like what I'm doing. You're going to have to drag me out of here if if you want to get me out. Camilla may very well do that when she's older, but for now, she's too small, and I still bench press more than her, so it's not going to happen. Anyway... Welcome again, everyone. Episode number 100. And uh, this is a huge, huge milestone. And uh, I want to thank you all for coming on this journey with me. You know, in 2008, when I finished my surgical residency, my net worth was about negative $75,000, give or take $100,000 or so. Not bad considering that number included education until I was about 33 years old as a surgical resident. And as you know, 2008 was also the year of the great meltdown of the financial system. Doctors that I knew who had been practicing for decades with the intent of retiring soon suddenly realized that it They couldn't. After all, half of their money just evaporated within days. You know, they got bamboozled, as my chief operating officer, Jeannie Shockey, would say. Why? This short story is Wall Street greed. It's the oldest story in the book. You see, Wall Street has created this really profitable game for itself, and here's how it goes. You work hard to make money. You entrust your money in Wall Street through your wealth manager, who's just a minion of Wall Street, of course, with the hopes that your money will magically grow, right? It's like planting seeds or something like that and and hoping that somebody else is going to water them. Maybe not. You know, maybe they'll just kind of grab those seeds and, and go grow something on their own. Of course, Wall Street charges you a lot of fees, uh, whether you win or lose. They also make really big bets with your money so that they can make even more money for themselves. Well, why not? It's the, their money. Uh, because when they win, they win big. And guess what? You don't get to see that big win in your W column because they keep most of it. But when they lose... We all know they are too big to fail, so they get bailed out by you, the taxpayer, right? Pretty nice gig if you can get it. I mean, I think this is absolute genius. Now, you have to ask yourself, how do they get away with it in the first place? Why do we as professionals keep coming back for more? Thank you. May I have another? Remember that movie? That's what most people do. After all, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Right, Mr. Einstein? What kind of financial education did you get growing up? That's the question. What did they teach you about personal finance? Well, chances are you're hearing those questions and you're thinking, well, I wasn't taught anything about investing. The educational system teaches you nothing about personal finance, does it? And when we get out of school, what replaces the classroom? How do we get our education? How do we make up for what we haven't learned, which we need to in order to live our lives, right? Who do we turn to answers for when we need to learn about real life stuff? What replaces the curriculum when you leave school? Answer anyone? Well, I'll give you the answer. The answer is conventional wisdom. It basically acts as a new curriculum, right? The problem is conventional wisdom is not always right. Let me give you an example. For a lot of years, conventional wisdom dictated that the world was flat. Well, we know that's not true, right? But, but that was just accepted, right? That was just accepted. For you doctors out there, you also know that that food pyramid that we used to see on the wall, 
in classrooms in elementary school that had like fats. It was like the worst thing, right? You were supposed to eat like carbohydrates mostly, all that stuff. Well, that thing's practically upside down. And if you look further, you find out that there was a study by Harvard scientists that was published that said that high-fat diets, high-fat protein diets were responsible for heart disease. And then later we find that particular study was funded by the sugar industry. That's conventional wisdom, though. I mean, we lived through it. We had that darn poster on every elementary school in the country. In other words, conventional wisdom, believe it or not, might not even be completely unbiased. In fact, it might have been perpetuated by big money, big banks, Wall Street. Think about it. What is conventional financial wisdom? Let the experts invest your money in a diverse portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Now, why is that conventional wisdom? The only time my dad invested in the stock market was during the dot-com crash. And, well, he almost lost his shirt during that period. And, you know, that was a story for a lot of people. But how many people do you know who've actually gotten wealthy because they invested in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. I'm not talking about people who made a lot of money and then just put their money in those accounts uh, while they were waiting to retire, but I mean that they literally got wealthy because of their investments. Do you know anybody like that? Do you think that the most wealthy families in the world, like the Waltons of Walmart fame or the Rothschilds, invest in mutual funds? Of course not then why do most high-paid professionals believe that investing in mutual funds is the responsible thing to do? Because it's conventional wisdom. But here's the problem. Conventional financial wisdom is the creation of special interests. It came from Wall Street. It has been hammered into you as gospel. And to stray away from that gospel, that religion... Well, it feels like heresy, right? It feels like you're doing something wrong. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from very smart, highly trained professionals, doctors, software engineers working at you know, Google and Facebook doing all sorts of stuff that's way over my head that confess to me that they feel, well, sort of guilty or unnerved about investing in these, quote, alternative assets like real estate. Alternative assets, right? That's a great label from Wall Street. I mean, what do we think of when we think of alternative? We think like alternative lifestyle, alternative this and that, things that sound kind of scary and a little risque, right? Are you one of those people? Does that sound like you? Is that sort of like the way you've been brought up? I mean, does your family get on your case? Do they tell you that you're going to lose all your money if you invest in real estate or any of these other real assets? instead of the equity markets and that you're not being responsible? Well, I'm here to tell you that if you don't believe in trusting your money to Wall Street, that in fact you are not crazy, you are not irresponsible, and you are not a heretic. I'm living proof that wealth can be created outside of Wall Street. And in my humble opinion, I will go as far as to say that it is a hell of a lot easier to become wealthy investing outside of Wall Street. In fact, people do become wealthy because they've invested money outside of Wall Street. But where do you start? That's the real question. I'm asked this question all the time. And you know what? There's no simple answer. There is a lot to learn. And this is, this is podcast number 100. We haven't even scratched the surface. We have covered a lot of things investing strategies, tax strategies, even asset protection. But we've never put it all together in one place in a comprehensive format topped by some of the smartest financial minds in the world. Something that can be studied and maybe even mastered, right? Maybe becoming a master at this thing. Isn't that appealing? Well, that brings me to what I am about to announce. I'm really proud to present to you a labor of love on which I have spent the last six months of my life with the help of a lot of people and the help of about $150,000 in cost to create. The course was produced by my friend Pam Hendrickson, 
who spent nearly 20 years producing courses for Tony Robbins to prepare for this moment. Okay. All right. Maybe Tony wasn't just a warm-up for me, but the point is I wanted the best of the best to make this happen, and that's why I got her, and that's why I got this faculty who is really just an unbelievable cast, right? So listen to this. Rich Dad Advisors, Tom Wheelwright and Ken McElroy. Tom's tax firm has helped me legally save literally millions of dollars of taxes in the past few years. Ken McElroy is the guy I learned real estate from and who I consider the Michael Jordan of multifamily real estate. Speaking of real estate, how about the real estate guys? Robert Helms and Russell Gray, also on the faculty. They're also friends of mine and some of the best in the business at teaching real estate. Marco Santorelli, their turnkey guru. And if you're into notes and things like that, of course, learn about it from George Newberry, founder of American Home Owner Preservation. There's also Mauricio Raould, my own SEC attorney, teaching you the ins and outs about investing in private placements. We've also got my own asset protection and estate planning attorney, Kevin Day, to teach you why I sleep well at night, knowing what I know and being structured the way I am. And finally, the legendary Dean Graziosi teaches about the millionaire mindset and the meaning of true wealth. Of course, it would not be my course if I didn't also serve as a faculty on it myself, and I'm going to teach everything I know in this course. This course, which is called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, is also going to have, accompanied with it, membership for a period of time to Wealth Formula Network, which will become the new home of the Wealth Formula community. This is where I'm going to spend most of my time going forward. You see, what I really want to do, what I really want to do is I really want to focus on helping people who are truly committed to taking this whole thing to the next level. I mean, if you want to sit on the sidelines and listen, that's great. But, you know, better than being a groupie, get involved. And we are going to create that tribe. Again, the course is called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, and this may very well serve as the foundation for the rest of your investing life. So check it out. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. Again, that's wealthformularoadmap.com, and check out what that course is all about, and if it makes sense, invest in it. And of course, I have told you before, I never consider anything like this an expense. I always consider it an investment because inherently it has an ROI. Now, as you look over the last 100 episodes, we've had a lot of big names. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty impressive, I think. Robert Kiyosaki, Jim Rickards, we had Doug Duncan, the Fannie Mae chief economist, Dean Graziosi, guys like that. But being the 100th show, I wanted this to be about you, so we've recorded some questions and comments on the show and when we come back we will play those and have fun celebrating our 100th show hey buck this is chris in kent washington um i really like your podcast it it just speaks to me i've been learning for quite a while that there's a whole other way of investing and you are certainly adding to my knowledge base on that in the short time that i've been listening to you i have invested in the crypto fund self-storage and i'm in the process of my application uh, to set up the insurance policy for wealth formula banking uh, my question is uh, with the huge demographic shift of the baby boomers retiring downsizing and at some stage needing assisted living do you know of any investment that might take advantage of that demographic shift you know some type of um, perhaps real estate investment that would be you know, centered around some type of assisted uh, care for seniors. Uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Well, thanks, uh, Chris, for that message. Obviously, Chris is part of Investor Club. Uh, that's where he heard about these other investment opportunities that he was referring to. And as a reminder, if you are an accredited investor and would like to uh, see more of these kinds of opportunities, too, make sure to go ahead and sign up at wealthformula.com to Investor Club. We do have some really exciting stuff coming up there. And uh, by the way, if you are already a member and you've not scheduled a time to talk to me, do so because some of these opportunities require that we have some kind of a relationship. 
Now I have to at least take you out to breakfast or something like that, right? Anyway, now as for your question, my friend, here's the deal. You're absolutely right about the demographic shift of baby boomers uh, and assisted living facilities. In fact, ironically, if you look at the self-storage opportunity we recently had, one of the reasons that I really liked it was because of the baby boomer demographics, and they're one of the major drivers of uh, self-storage facilities, believe it or not. But here's the bad news, right? People have seen uh, this shift coming for quite a long time, and there has been a lot of institutional money along with small player money uh, in this asset class for a long time. The result is that in terms of, at least in terms of the big boxes, right, the larger facilities, we are overbuilt. In fact, I found this out, you know, trying to look at this type of investment a few, a couple years back, and I realized that Chase, obviously not a small bank, won't even give out loans on assisted living facilities right now because they've had too many uh, foreclosures and that sort of thing. It's, uh, it, it's, so it's a little slippery slope. Now, I do think that there is an opportunity potentially in the smaller house model. This, you know, we've, we've talked about that on the show before. We have smaller houses converted to assisted living facilities, though, because I do think that that's a different bracket of competition, right? There is, there is a demand for niche type of uh, living. In fact, uh, we got my mother-in-law who's got Alzheimer's over here from Chicago back to Santa Barbara. And we, we put her in one of these smaller homes and it's so much better than what she was in while in Chicago. It's not even funny. And I'll tell you, we would certainly pay a premium for that kind of situation for her. But here's the thing. As an investor or somebody who's buying this, I do think that there are some inherent problems with that model, even with the small houses to consider. And here's what they are. One, if you want to buy one yourself and do it well, it will not be a hands-off investment. This is not like owning an apartment building or a house and having a property manager. These people are fragile and to do it well, they really need to be taken care of. So sure, you can hire a manager, but if you want to run this with care and do it well and not, you know, I mean, not only for the people, but so that you don't get sued you're going to be needing to be involved. And, uh, you know, in short, you're going to be buying yourself a bit of a job. Now, for some of you, that's okay, right? I mean, if you're really into it, then that's okay. But if you're, you know, already working 50 hours a week and you've got a busy practice of some kind, I don't know that you want to, you know, get into that kind of thing, right? It's, it is something that you're going to have to get your hands dirty on. Now, the other problem that I potentially have with this model and investing in the smaller house model is that being a passive investor is not a bad idea at all, right? But here's the problem. I like to deal with pros as for the most part. If I'm going to invest with somebody, I'm going to invest with a pro. And there are just too many beginners and people with full-time jobs trying to, to syndicate these things. I'm not saying that they all are, but you got to be really careful. It might be a great model and there may be potential for significant profit even. But, you know, there's an old saying, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. And it's a fool with a tool is still a fool, right? Even if you have a great opportunity, uh, you have to look at who is running the show, right? I mean, even these apartment buildings, uh, there's a million people out there uh, who are doing this for the first time. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, this is a tricky place to be and you have got to know that just because even if an opportunity looks good on paper it has to be implemented right so so be careful um, and that's a problem I've seen with this is that most of the people that I've seen who are trying to sponsor this are not people that I would invest with and for me people are the most important three okay another problem and for me, uh, this is maybe the biggest uh, thing that keeps me away from it. There is a lack of a desirable exit strategy on these types of homes. Now, if you invest in a startup, much of that money will be used to transform a home into a facility. Okay, If it doesn't work, guess what? You don't have a house that you can sell anymore. You have to sell it as a facility. And you have to understand that the market for a facility is going to be far less than a 
single family house that you just completely turned into something that no one will buy as a single family house anymore. In fact, uh, you know, talking to some of you out there who were doing hard money lending for a while and were looking at this, I know that some of my hard money lender friends have stopped even lending on these as well because they're concerned that, okay, they may end up with an asset, but then how are they going to sell it? For me, there's not enough scale, you know, and that's part of the problem with the exit too. So when I looked at this earlier, I thought about buying a bunch of them and then, you know, you almost sort of like a private equity model where you would buy them and then sell off the group of homes at, at higher multiples. That's sort of the classic uh, private equity model. The problem is that I've talked to people in private equity about this and it's never going to be a model that they're going to be interested in buying because you're going to be selling. The goal is to sell to like an institutional player of some kind, private equity, because if you're trying to get, you know, 20 or 30 of these homes, like that's what I was going to do. You know, you're going to, and you want to sell them at once for a premium, then uh, you're going to be selling to private equity. Private equity is really not interested. So decentralization is fundamentally the problem with that, right? So when they have the big boxes, private equity can scale that, right? They can do economies of scale for food. They can, you know, the staffing, things like that. But when you have all these houses all over the places, they can't do that. So it's another problem with the the exit. That said, I don't want to throw it out completely. There's a lot of people who are doing really well with it. And, you know, if you'd like the idea of making this your life's work, um, you could do pretty well. I'm convinced of that. I think you could if you decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to really worry about the exit. I'm going to approach this as, you know, um, something I love to do. That's something that's great to happen. And, you know, I'll worry about selling this, you know, or passing it on or whatever 30 years from now, then maybe it's worth it. But that's just not part of my investment philosophy. So hopefully that answers your question. And I don't want to sound like I'm so negative, but I I also uh, make it a point to... um, you know, tell it as it is um, from my perspective. And obviously these are just my opinions. So next question. Hey, Buck, this is Andy. I am a veterinarian in Northern Westchester, New York. And your story resonates with me because like you, I spent a lot of my life studying medicine. And now I want to put my hard-earned money to work for myself. So my question to you is this. If you were starting over again and you had... Uh, $100,000 to invest, what would be your core principles? You have so much information on your many podcasts, it's hard to digest it all. You talk about real estate, stock market, wealth formula, crowdsourcing and lending, and uh, life settlements, wealth formula banking. What are your core investment philosophies and where would you start if you had to invest a hundred thousand dollars thanks again for all you do and i look forward to hearing from you thanks andy uh you are right there is a ton of information on those hundred podcast episodes and at times it may seem and feel like you're drinking from a fire hose you know that's ultimately uh, going back to my course i'll just plug it again Uh, that's the reason i created the course Um, it gives you the foundation and framework but thinking about things. So uh, I do encourage you to check that out. Again, it's wealthformularoadmap.com and uh, check out if it's for you. But your question, obviously, it's a little bit complicated because everyone's situation is is very different. And uh, as for even the $100,000 to invest, it depends if that's all the money you have or if that's uh, you know $100,000 per month that you have to invest. And Of course, uh, a lot of it also depends on your personal investment philosophy and uh, how active you want to be as an investor, right? Is it something that you're, you know, you really are going to take interest in and look for cash flowing opportunities? Or is it something that really, you know, there's a lot of, and I'm not saying this is you, but there's a lot of what we call real estate groupies out there, which like to listen to a lot of podcasts. They like to listen to a lot of real estate podcasts. Or, you know, mine is not just a real estate podcast, but listen to these things, but ultimately not really do anything about it. So so there's a couple different ways you can approach it, right? So let me just say this again, that if I was uh, starting over 20 years ago, I would start with a wealth formula uh, banking account. And this is because I know that I was was uh, ultimately going to be 
a uh, cash flow investor. Well, maybe I didn't know, but <laughs> maybe I didn't know, but now I know. And looking back, that's what I wish I did because I'm an aggressive uh, cash flow investor. But what Wealth Formula Banking's value is, is that's going to help you uh, amplify what you're making on investments uh, and will add a compounding element to an otherwise uh, simple real estate distribution. Um, so basically what it does is it allows you to invest the same money in two places at the same time. Uh, and if you have an apartment building making 10% per year, for example, um, you could just take that 10% per year like you normally do. Or if you were doing wealth formula banking, you get 10% Plus, you get an additional component of compounding interest that increases every year. So to me, that's an absolute no-brainer as a cash flow investor as a step one, in my opinion. That's what I wish I had done before. Of course, really what it comes down to in that is if you're a cash flow investor, do you want just the return or do you want the return plus another compounding return? So that's why it's a no-brainer, right? Anyway, now... Uh, I also talk to a lot of people who want to invest in cash flowing assets, but they are part of that, you know, real estate or uh, real asset groupie group because they're not, you know, if they're completely honest with themselves, they probably won't do a whole lot because frankly, they're just too busy and maybe they like listening to it, but they're really not that engaged, right? And right now they may be investing in an IRA uh, into a mutual fund or an ETF, and they're just literally just waiting to get butchered by a big correction. So, you know, for those people, and this is why I was really excited about the Velocity Plus product, because I truly believe Velocity Plus is a really great option for those people who are really never going to get involved with investing in, you know, in, in cash flowing assets or private placements or whatever. Why? Because you essentially have your money you know, it's still exposed to the stock market. It's indexed to the performance of the S&P 500, but you don't take any of the downside of the market. So you're not going to get butchered if the market corrects 20 or 30%. On the other side, um, if you can take 12 or 13% of the upside, and once you leverage that, which is what you do with Velocity Plus, you can actually make returns that easily exceed 20%. And again, this was modeled out by Christian Allen in that uh, webinar that he did. And uh, you may want to check that out at wealthformulabanking.com. They modeled this out at 7% average growth in the S&P 500, which is a little bit lower than even the um, wealth advisors like to tell you. They like to tell you it's 8, I think. But we, we use 7, and when you levered that with 3 to 1, uh, it came out to about 19 or 20% uh, return per year. And again, you take that along with the side that you're not getting any downside risk. To me, it just feels like a no-brainer. That's my opinion. And like I said, I'm in the middle of underwriting one of these larger ones right now. So, I mean, I would check that out. So, you know, as you may know, I, I currently don't participate in the New York Stock Exchange. However, because of this type of product, uh, I'm going to. Because to me, it's just another way to get exposure with minimal risk. You know, you can join in on that euphoria, right? I, I I hear a lot of people talk about how, hey, Buck, this is great, but look at how well these people did in the last five years in the stock market. That's right. So you could join them. You can join in part of the party, the euphoria that everyone feels when the market is exploding because you're taking part of that uh, like, like it has been in the past decade. But you can also sleep well at night knowing you don't have to uh, worry about the, the impending correction that I, I think everybody believes is going to happen at some point in the next couple of years. So um, Velocity Plus is basically like, uh, you know, it is wealth formula in a box. It's using the S&P 500 for velocity and the bank for leverage. And, and so, so if you are one of those people who is going to do nothing else, that is a great product that you should consider, in my opinion, because, I mean, I, I would feel... I certainly feel better at night if I was a stock market person knowing that I didn't have to take part of the downside. Anyway, I think it's a good place to start, but um, I think the course is very comprehensive. And frankly, I'll use it as a chance to plug it again. So check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. And uh, that, might, that might give you the infrastructure and also the tribe that you're looking for. So next question here. Buck, I'm a new listener and fan of the show. Also a fellow Santa Barbara resident, my basic question is about Bitcoin. 
And I'm having trouble putting faith behind the valuations that everyone talks about because in my simple understanding of it, it seems that parallel technologies could easily be created. And who's to say that Bitcoin is going to be able to dominate the market for cryptocurrencies for the foreseeable future? Why doesn't somebody else, a much bigger outfit, a much more, I don't know, larger company technology platform create competing products and, you know, the price will just plummet. So my basic question is trying to understand the valuations I hear people ascribing to Bitcoin when there's clearly not a, it's clearly not a limited supply. Unlike gold right now, right, where it takes a miner needs to mine X number of tons of ore to produce one ounce of gold. It's it's just an astronomical undertaking to produce a you know a commodity like that. I can understand and appreciate the value of that. I I just anyways, I'd really love your feedback because I have not been able to find anybody discussing that matter. Um, thanks. Well, thanks for that question. Uh, you know, everybody's looking at cryptos right now. It's it's interesting how uh, is, nobody's searching it on Google anymore, right? That's what <laughs> market correction will do. It's funny, too, um, as an aside before I, I get to that question. So my dad, my dad, uh, who is a very good real estate guy, right? But perhaps one of the worst investors ever. Uh, you know, he's a, you know, I, he, he got into the dot-com bubble. He saw everybody getting excited. So he got excited. He put, he sold a bunch of buildings back in the late nineties just so he could participate in that. And guess what? He, he got destroyed, right? So he taught, he did exactly what you're not supposed to do. He bought at the top of the market and then he got killed and then he sold and, and he almost lost everything, honestly. And then, so my dad uh, comes to me well, the market's uh, super hot uh, and in, in uh, cryptocurrency. And he says, well, you know, what do you think about me buying some Bitcoin? I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe not. So I held off, I held off. And when Bitcoin dropped to about 10 grand, I helped him buy, uh, I helped him buy some Bitcoin. And uh, of course, it's, you know, Bitcoin itself is not as bad as a lot of the altcoins are right now, but he's looking at it go down and he's asking me to sell now, right? Exactly. So it, it's exactly what you don't want to do. And this is what most quote unquote investors uh, do and, and they get killed. So anyway, I'm not letting him, um, I'm not letting him sell yet. I'm going to hold on to it to at least he breaks even and then I will sell it for him and, and send him his money. But it's an interesting uh, concept that I think that I, I, I am now looking at my dad as a type of index, right? So when my dad wants to buy into a market, it's probably time to sell, right? Because the greed factor and sort of the euphoria is there and uh, it's, time, it's time to just call it a day and sell because there's probably a correction coming. And then when my dad wants to actually sell, it probably means we're near the bottom and it's, it's time to pick up uh, some, more, uh, some more of whatever it is that he, he wants to sell. So uh, I may use that in future times. But, you know, I think that one of the things that I have talked about investing in uh, this stuff is, is uh, you have to approach it like you're going to lose your money. Um, I don't believe... Even the people in my fund, I think they're going to do quite well. But right now, you know, everything's getting hammered, right? But let's look at the reality of what's going on in cryptocurrency right now. The uh, And this sort of starts answering your question. I'll get to it specifically here. But here's a, here is a uh, CNBC. I'm looking at this. This was popped up on Coinbase or uh, Coin. It's one of, one of the uh, newsletters that I read. Um, all the time on cryptocurrency. It's like consolidates all these different articles. Anyway, the CBOE encourages the SEC to allow Bitcoin ETFs. You know how big a deal that is? That's huge. 
A Bitcoin ETF would dump so much money into this. It's crazy. It would dump an enormous amount of money very quickly into the cryptocurrency market. Um, so, so I'm not worried about it. I mean, I think the cryptocurrency market peaked about 700 billion. We're down below 300 billion right now. I still maintain that this is a technology that is going to prevail. It will be a trillion dollar market. I'm still bullish uh, with all the things that are going on right now. You see, the CBOE is very powerful. And, you know, we may see a Bitcoin ETF. We're seeing, you know, BlackRock get into this. We're looking at Wellington Capital, a bunch of institutional money. I've invested in some, um, actually in some platforms that are made for hedge funds specifically so that they can participate. This is something that I think we should be watching speculating, which is not a four-letter word. It's it's what you do instead of buying a Maserati for the year. That's why I still drive my uh, Toyota that I had when I finished residency. It seems to work fine still. Anyway, so getting back to your question, let's talk about Bitcoin specifically. Let's first talk about valuation, which you brought up. It's actually pretty simple, right? There is, uh, there is in fact, a limited supply of Bitcoin. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin uh, that are mined. And a lot of them have been lost because early on, a bunch of te- you know, teenagers and stuff owned a lot of Bitcoin and they didn't take care of it and they lost it. But anyway, there'll never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And because of this, the value of Bitcoin is simply a product of market capitalization. And so this makes Bitcoin actually uh, a lot more like gold than fiat currency, right? By the way, it is expensive to mine uh, Bitcoin as well. That's obviously one of the issues that's coming up. It requires a lot of energy. Uh, As for competitors, this is the trillion dollar question, right? As for coins currently circulating, there is no other coin for the purpose of value storage that I personally can see overtaking Bitcoin dominance anytime soon. And you're seeing all the whales, you know, like people who own, you know, billions of dollars of this stuff, uh, you know, they're they're doubling down. Bitcoin has a lot of advantages over other coins, the least of which is being the first one to the show. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. Bitcoin was the first one and it has that advantage. It's also never been hacked. And now... The fact that a lot of billionaires are heavily invested in it or they become billionaires because of it, you know, like the Winklevoss twins or, you know, any number of of, uh, others like that. I don't see Bitcoin going away anytime soon. I think it's it's almost created its own little, you know, safety net with all the billionaires around it. You know, there are, however, other technologies and projects that could very well give Bitcoin a run for its money even as a storage of value, but I don't see that happening for years, uh, years from now, right? I mean, even if there's uh, a new competitor uh, that comes out today, it's going to take a while for that to potentially overcome uh, or overtake Bitcoin. Uh, one of my favorites, by the way, as uh, many of you know, is uh, Hedera Hashgraph. It's not trading yet, um, but the one issue with Hashgraph uh, that is 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 a concern for me a little bit that it is it's not open source. And um, by the way, that answers another part of your question. You say, well, you know, why can't a company produce this stuff? Because generally speaking, a company is not supposed to produce uh, or, and control a cryptocurrency. It, ideally, it's, it's decentralized, right? Now, Hashgraph is uh, the, the coin, Hedera Hashgraph will be decentralized, but it's not going to be open source. In other words, the code cannot be changed by uh, individual programmers and forked off, like the way you see Ethereum, you know, you have Ethereum Classic is forked, you have forks everywhere. Uh, That can't happen with Hashgraph. That could be a plus, it could be a minus. I think, I'm guessing it'll be a plus. And because it can't be forked, and I think that people will like that. You can still be built on freely by developers, uh, but it also makes it potentially less attractive in a world that is really driven by decentralization. But for now, uh, suffice it to say that I believe that Bitcoin dominance is going to prevail for the foreseeable future. 
you know, once the Bitcoin market goes up, I think that spills over into the alternative coin world. That's when you're going to see the altcoins really take off again as well. So hopefully that answers your question. Next one here. Hi, Buck. Do you have any recommendations regarding uh, tax incentive plans uh, for passive income made from these uh, syndication investments like that? Um, I really appreciate that. And I also want to say the congratulations on the 100th episode of the podcast. And it's been an outstanding resource for me. I've learned so much, and I really appreciate the uh, letting us in on the uh, different opportunities and uh, it's a perfect fit for any uh, high paid professional physician and I'd uh, highly recommend it to to all my colleagues take care thanks well thanks Jason it's uh, good to hear from you as far as tax incentive programs you know the whole thing is so complicated right I mean it's it's part of it is um, investing in tax advantageous type investments. So for example, if you invested in um, the self-storage opportunity we had, I mean, that's a, a totally tax sheltered opportunity, right? You're not, you're probably not going to pay much in the way of taxes uh, for years, if you ever do, <clears throat> because of depreciation. Same thing goes for real estate, uh, which, you know, we have some things coming up there too. But in terms of syndications in general, I think it's not the syndications that are going to create the tax advantages. It's determining what kind of income it is that you have and then playing one type of income against another. For example, you know, I think you mentioned you might be in life settlements or something like that, where for the most part, you know, you can, it's ordinary income. Now, it is passive income. So if you have passive income with depreciation that makes it so that you are actually showing losses, you can actually use that depreciation to offset your passive gains, right? So it's it's sort of a web of things that you have to think about when you're investing. So, so hopefully that answers your question, but there unfortunately is not really a short answer to the answer of, you know, how do you uh, create legal shelters for, for income that's coming from any syndication in particular. Okay, let's move on to the next question or comment. Hi, Buck. This is Drew. Congratulations on show number 100. I've been a loyal member of the Wealth Formula Nation for a little over a year now, and also a member of Investor Club. And Compared to a year ago, I've learned so much about investing in alternative assets. I've been able to take control of my financial future, and I really have you to thank for that. I've participated in some great offerings that you've uh, sponsored as well as uh, referred me to. The Mahogany Bay Project, the Life Settlement Fund, self-storage, syndication, and I'm also doing Wealth Formula Banking. Plus, you referred me to a great team that surrounds me, a great wealth team. So I thank you for all you've done for me and my family and our financial future, and keep up the good work. Thanks again. Drew, you're welcome, my friend. Drew is one of my doctor friends here, the who is a radiation oncologist, I think, in Carolina. We've never met in person, but I feel like I have gotten to know you guys so well and it's great to hear your voice and uh, all I can say is you're welcome Drew and looking forward to continuing to work with you in the future I'm, I'm glad things are working out uh, well one thing I got to tell you about Drew is that uh, he's a Carolina Panthers fan and the Minnesota Vikings did play the Carolina Panthers and uh, that was one of the few losses we had this year. And, of course, Drew was kind enough to uh, send me a text and let me know about that. But anyway, uh, we finished a little bit ahead of you, Drew. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully hopefully we'll have a rematch and uh, it'll, it'll be some fun ribbing. But, uh, again, thanks. And I'm glad you're aboard and uh, looking forward to meeting you in person at some point and uh, also continuing to work with you. All right, so let's move on here. Hey, Buck. 
Kerry Gosnell here. Uh, I just want to thank you for all the work that you do in educating us on uh, how to become better investors, something that we're never taught in school. I just want to give you a perspective of what my situation is and how you've actually helped immensely. Uh, prior to listening to any of your podcasts or doing some due diligence, I really was at a loss for uh, understanding how to invest my money. I'm a high-paid professional. I've been you know, driving money into a 401k, having it sit in the bank. Uh, but after really sitting down and understanding where my expenses go and learning about your podcast and pretty much listening to every episode, I've learned there's a better way to invest out there. So within a year, I've taken everything I possibly could out of the market. Uh, I've invested in your life settlements funds. Uh, I've also invested uh, in gold and silver and precious metal areas. Uh, I've also uh, participating in the wealth formula banking, uh, which I see some uh, great value in, especially uh, longer term. Uh, in addition to that, I I'm, out, I'm now educating my children, 11-year-old uh, and 9-year-old, uh, both girls, on how they can invest and learn not to work for anybody, but how they can survive for themselves. And one of those was through AHP. And so I've also invested there and took their money and showed them how they can put it in there and gain a 12% return out of it. And now they're starting to really see the value of uh, how if you manage your money correctly and we do things that we're never taught in school, um, how it can benefit all of us uh, in the long run. So I want to thank you very much. Um, it's uh, great not only having conversations with you, uh, but also listening to your podcasts, listening to your blog, reading your blogs, um, seeing you on YouTube, all the stuff you do there. And I feel like um, you've completely transformed the way that I look at investing. And so my motto now is to increase overall wealth through financial freedom and family focus. And I contribute a lot of that to the foundation uh, that you gave us. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Boy, I mean, people are going to start thinking that I paid you for that or something. Like, it's a very nice thing to say. Listen, Jerry is another member of the Credit Investor Club. Obviously, he's investing some things that are only available to the credit investors in the group. But, you know, this is the kind of message that really makes my day uh, because, well, why did I start this podcast in the first place? For one, no one at cocktail parties ever really wanted to listen to me talk about money and investing, and my wife didn't really like me talking about it anyway because it was sort of rude to talk about money in social situations, So, and my wife doesn't like talking about this stuff. So I decided, uh, you know what, I will uh, find people out there to talk to on a podcast. And that was really, that was one of the reasons. You know, the other reason was I couldn't really find a podcast that was speaking to me because I wasn't, you know, trying to escape from a cubicle. I wasn't trying to retire me, you know, it's retire me this or, you know, whatever. I'm I, Just the desperation and all that, it just didn't appeal to me. All I was saying is, hey, I'm, I you know, I make money. How do I invest it? And uh, I want to hear what people have to say who've got money. So that's why I started it. You know, the other reason for starting the podcast is that, you know, I talk about this. It's part of um, part of true wealth in general is having a mission in the first place. And what is a mission? I mean, I found mine in providing my brand of financial education to my listeners because, frankly, I mean, it's selfish. I really enjoy learning about this stuff. I mean, obviously, I want to help you too, but it's really a lot of fun for me to you know, make it sort of my job to uncover more and more secrets of the wealthy uh, that we can tap into collectively as a community. I mean, I'm doing this stuff. I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid. And what's neat about it is that, you know, you're listening and I'm finding out things and I can, you know, I can just pass it along and, and we can all benefit. And uh, that's really fun. And so, you know, I'm living out my mission. And, um, there's really nothing I'd rather do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, than what I do now, which, again, I, I think is a true wealth. Now, there's one thing. I, I probably would rather own the Minnesota Vikings, but that's going to take a little bit more work. I, I, I'm going to give myself another you know, 10 to 20 years to get there. But anyway, Jerry, thanks again for that nice comment. So true wealth, you know, that's what it's all about, right? The Financial stuff will help you get to the point where you can really start living out your mission, uh, which is your passion. It's about living the way you want to live and do the things you want to do now. 
if you're thinking about retiring, you have not found your mission. That's what I'll tell you. You know, the notion of retiring, it's just waiting to die. Your mission is what you would do until the day you die, whether you got paid or not, because you love doing it. That's what it is. So that's what you really ought to be striving for, being able to do what you want every day, you know, and, and feeling like, you know, you're super happy doing it. So anyway, looking forward to hearing more stories like Jerry's and the rest in the future. It uh, looks like we're going uh, pretty late right now, so I am going to leave it at that. I do encourage everyone uh, to leave some questions on SpeakPipe for the, for the next uh, set of questions on an Ask Buck episode, and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks again for making it through the first 100 episodes with me. And over the next couple years, I'm hoping uh, to get to know more of you over the next next hundred shows. Uh, make sure, though, that you go to wealthformularoadmap.com and get more information on the course. I really do think it's something that you ought to consider investing in. What you, a lot of the questions today were about or comments were really about, you know, where do you start and how do you start and all this stuff. And that's really what that course is all about. I mean, honestly, I can see that being something that I give to my children when they're old enough. Of course, uh, they're not quite there yet, but I'll force them to watch it in another year or so. Anyway, that is also going to give you access initially for free to this Wealth Formula Network, which is going to be our online community. We're not going to do it as a Facebook group because I don't want Facebook owning uh, or controlling what we do. We need to be able to control our own community and do it the way we want. Um, without any changes in, in the law or the rules of Facebook. So anyway, we'll also plan on having some live events in the near future. But in the meantime, I just want to say thank you again for listening. I, I appreciate you very much. And that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. On to uh, the next 100 shows. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.